ಸ್ತರೇಕಂ ಸ್ಮರಾಮಸ್ತರೇಕಂ ಭಜಾಮಃ ತರೇಕಂ ಜಗತ್ಸಾಕ್ಷಿಪಂ ನಮಃ ಸರೇಕಂ ನಿಧಾನ ನಿರಾಲಂಬಮೀಶಂ ಭವಾಂಬೋಧಿಪೋತ ಶರಣ್ಯಂ ವ್ರಜಾಮಃ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಆನ್ ದಟ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ಡು ವಿ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಟ್ ದಟ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ಡು ವಿ ವರ್ಷಿಪ್ ಟು ದಟ್ ಅಲೋನ್ ದ ವಿಟ್ನೆಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಯೂನಿವರ್ಸ್ ಡು ವಿ ಬಾವ್ ಟು ದಟ್ ಒನ್ ಹೂ ಇಸ್ ಅವರ್ ಸೋಲ್ ಇಟರ್ನಲ್ ಸಪೋರ್ಟ್ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಎಕ್ಸಿಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ ಲೋರ್ಡ್ ದ ರಾಫ್ಟ್ ಟು ಸೇಫ್ಟಿ ಅಕ್ರಾಸ್ ದಿ ಓಷನ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿಸ್ ವರ್ಲ್ಡ್ do we come for refuge om peace 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 good morning to all of you it's a great uh, pleasure and a privilege to be back here after a long time and to see so many of my friends and some new faces also and uh, i served at this center for a number of years from 2008 to 2013 uh, in between going some other places and uh, i'll get right into our topic our topic is i throw myself on thy mercy it's a wonderful expression of utter dedication to the divine of consecrating our whole lives our whole beings everything to the divine not looking to earthly means and remedies looking only to god and uh it's it reminds me of a little pamphlet that i saw about joining a monastery in georgia it was a christian monastery uh and in that pamphlet they had the phrase when you join the, the monastery you throw your lot in with the lord you throw your lot in with the lord i loved that phrase and that is what this idea speaks to me throw your lot in with the lord for all of us seekers of god devotees we throw our lot in with the lord now m- many of you probably recognize this first this uh, title this first line i throw myself on thy mercy from the gospel of sri ramakrishna it's the first line of a wonderful prayer uttered by sri ramakrishna and recorded by m i'd like to read out that passage it's march 11 1885 sri ramakrishna had come from dakshineshwar to calcutta to the house of his devotee balaram bose who was the uh, one of the great householder devotees of sri ramakrishna and in whose house uh, sri ramakrishna visited 100 times it was his calcutta fort where he would meet the devotees uh, who um, couldn't perhaps make it to dakshineshwar so easily so he spent the whole day there and in the evening uh this incident was recorded gradually it became dusk the shadow of evening fell on calcutta for the moment the noise of the busy metropolis was stilled gongs and conch shells proclaimed the evening worship in many hindu homes devotees of god set aside their worldly duties and turned their minds to prayer and meditation this joining of day and night this mystic twilight always created an ecstatic mood in the master 
the devotees seated in the room looked at Sri Ramakrishna as he began to chant the sweet name of the Divine Mother. It was as though drops of nectar fell from the Master's lips as he chanted, Ma, Ma. After the chanting, he began to pray. What was the need of prayer to a soul in constant communion with God? Did he not rather want to teach erring mortals how to pray? Addressing the Divine Mother, he said, O Mother, I throw myself on thy mercy. I take shelter at thy hallowed feet. I do not want bodily comforts. I do not crave name and fame. I do not seek the eight occult powers. Be gracious and grant that I may have pure love for thee, a love unsmitten by desire, untainted by any selfish ends, a love craved by the devotee for the sake of love alone. And grant me the favor, O Mother, that I may not be deluded by thy world-bewitching Maya, that I may never be attached to the world, to the objects of lust and greed, conjured up by thy inscrutable Maya. O Mother, there is no one but thee whom I may call my own. Mother, I do not know how to worship. I am without austerity. I have neither devotion nor knowledge. Be gracious, Mother, and grant that I, out of thy infinite mercy, grant me love for thy lotus feet. Every word of this prayer, uttered from the depths of his soul, stirred the minds of the devotees. The melody of his voice and the childlike simplicity of his face touched their hearts very deeply. So this is the wonderful prayer of Sri Ramakrishna, from the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And I'd like to look more closely at this prayer and dissect it a little bit, go through it line by line, uh, to see what kind of light we can get on this practice of uh, throwing ourselves on the mercy of God. So M paints the scene so beautifully. We can picture Sri Ramakrishna sitting and the devotees seated around him and the night falls and he goes into an ecstatic mood and he begins to chant the divine name. And hearing that name, the devotees also go into an ecstatic mood. Sri for Sri Ramakrishna, the mother is his intimate companion and, and uh, vivid presence. When he repeats the mother's name, her presence also awakens in our hearts. And we feel that the mother is right here. So now uh, Sri Ramakrishna uh, begins to pray. And M rightly observes, Sri Ramakrishna was in constant communion with mother. He was established in non-dual realization. What, is, what possible need could, it, could he have to pray? Rather, he is praying to teach us how to pray, to teach his disciples and through M, all of us, how, how to pray. It reminds me of another great teacher who also took his disciples up onto a mountaintop to teach them how to pray. Jesus uh, took his uh, intimate disciples up onto the mount and gave them the Sermon on the Mount, and he also taught them. Uh, interestingly, he also starts with the divine name. He says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Sri Ramakrishna starts his prayer with Mother, the divine parent. Both are teaching their disciples to call on the divine parent. 
And Jesus also teaches this attitude of surrender. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sri Krishna, when he's teaching Arjuna, what does he teach him? Again and again, he he teaches him, take refuge in me. I will save you. Take refuge in me. And in the 15th chapter, he also gives one prayer. I take refuge in that primal being from whom has streamed forth this eternal activity. I take refuge. So the first lesson I take from this prayer is uh, before beginning to pray, Sri Ramakrishna chants the divine name and he goes into a spiritual mood and he takes us all along with him. That means that uh, a prayer is not something that's just to be tossed off the lips, rattled off. It's something that wells up from deep within. Sri Ramakrishna is first going into a mood. He's chanting the mother's name. He's he's evoking that intense longing for the divine. And then the prayer begins. So that's the, uh, the first lesson I take is prayer comes not from the lips, but from deep within. And then the first word of his prayer. What's the first word of his prayer? Ma, mother. The very first word. This is one of the great contributions of Sri Ramakrishna to us and to the world, is the rejuvenation of the uh, tradition of approaching God as mother. It, was, it, it has been there since the most ancient of times, both in the East and in the West. And uh, now we find, again, a resurgence of interest in God as mother. In fact, when we were at the Parliament of Religions, there were a number of seminars devoted to God as mother and words like the divine feminine. So it's a a wonderful resurgence, a recognition that we can approach God as mother. The closest relation we find among people in this world is between a mother and her child. The child has come from the mother's own body and uh, she loves that child, especially at first. She loves that child with unconditional love, no strings attached, overflowing with love. It overflows from her deepest heart. Similar is divine love. The love of God is all-embracing, all-forgiving, completely unconditional. Swami Vivekananda points out, in Pasadena. Instead of our Father in heaven, we say mother all the time. That idea and that word are ever associated in the Hindu mind with infinite love. The mother's love being the nearest approach to God's love in this mortal world of ours. You know, when uh, I've even heard from grandparents, when they get a grandchild, they get overwhelmed with love that love that pours over the child, and it's a bliss, it's, an, it's a bliss of love. Gradually, <laughs> it reduces. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Sri <laughs> Ramakrishna emphasized the closeness of God. The div- mother is right here. Divine is right here. In fact, in the highest realization, the distinction between myself and the divine disappears. So Sri Ramakrishna says, God is your own mother. Is she a stepmother? Is is it an artificial relationship? No, she is your own mother. 
তোমার যে আপনার মা গো আপনার মা ইউর ভেরি ওন মাদার সো হি অলওয়েজ এনকারেজেস আস টু ডেভেলপ আ রিলেশনশিপ উইথ দ্য ডিভাইন এন্ড ফর আস হি হ্যাজ মডেল দিস রিলেশনশিপ অফ আ চাইল্ড ডিপেন্ডিং ফুলি এন্ড কমপ্লিটলি অন ইটস মাদার এভরি পেজ অফ দ্য গসপল উই ফাইন্ড হিম talking with mother dancing with mother speaking with mother cajoling mother scolding mother praying to mother all mother and he would call her anandamayi all blissful mother so then uh, he, he, the next words of the prayer i throw myself on thy mercy i take shelter at thy hallowed feet আমি তোমার শরণাগত শরণাগত দিস আইডিয়া অফ শরণাগত অফ সিকিং রেফিউজ অফ টোটো সুরেন্ডার হাউ অমেজিং উই ফাইন্ড ইন দ্য ঋগ্বেদা দি এঞ্চেন্ট মোস্ট এঞ্চেন্ট স্ক্রিপচার অফ দ্য ওয়ার্ল্ড দিস ভার্স দি এঞ্চেন্ট ভেদিক সেজ প্রেয়িং টু দ্য ডিভাইন মাদার তামগ্নিবর্ণ তপসাজ্বলন্তিম বৈরোচনী কর্মফলে জুষ্টা I take refuge in her, Mother Durga, who is fiery in luster and radiant with tapas, who is the power belonging to the Supreme, who manifests himself manifoldly, who is the power residing in actions and their fruits. O thou goddess skilled in saving, thou takest us across all difficulties. we bow down to thee this is from the durga suktam so sri ramakrishna didn't come to teach us anything new he came to reawaken the ancient traditions this uh, seeking refuge in the mother from the rigveda it's perhaps the most simple of spiritual practices we simply turn everything over to god we it, it is more than simply surrender this uh, term sharanagata suggests a, a certain activity on our part of seeking refuge of going for shelter in the divine i th- so swami nikilananda very aptly translated as i throw myself on thy mercy i take refuge at thy hallowed feet where can we find any shelter in this world tell me where can we find any shelter the sanskrit poets liken this world to a drop of water on a lotus leaf if you've ever seen a lotus leaf it's covered with some kind of wax it's it's uh, it's not a like a it's not a lily pad which is different the lotus leaf has some kind of wax and a drop of water on it balls up like a little crystal gem and it rolls around on the leaf and a puff of wind tips the leaf a little bit and it rolls right off and falls right back into the water that's a drop of water on a lotus leaf that's this world it's everything comes to an end is there any safe harbor in this world there is of course there is in the divine and there alone so we run there we throw ourselves there it it uh, it strikes me that all our striving in this world all our chasing after money and power 
We're trying to fix something permanent. We want a house, and we buy a house, and we try to pay off the mortgage, and we try to make sure we have a retirement account and get a little name and fame. People should know who we are because we want something permanent. And yet, everything comes to an end. So we run to the divine, we throw ourselves there. There is the safe harbor. There is the permanent reality, which is our true nature. So then we relinquish all our worries and we can be at peace. Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, says Jesus. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, he says. And yet, though it is so easy, is also so very, very difficult. We hold on, we want to hold on so tightly to our lives. To let go is so difficult. We want to be in control. We say, I throw myself on thy mercy. And then we take ourselves back again. It's like uh, a little kids, you know, little kids, sometimes they'll give, a, they'll, they'll give one of their prized possessions to a friend as a gift. And five minutes later, they'll take it back again. <laughs> They're not quite ready to give it yet. So similar is our condition. Like we give ourselves over and then we take ourselves back. I think it's because God has not yet become fully real to us. God is still an idea. We have faith in God, but is, it, is God the living reality for us? Swami Brahmananda says, this practice is not an easy matter. The mind always creates doubts and raises questions as this. I have neither seen nor known God. How can I love and resign myself to him? I'd like to read a a beautiful uh, passage from a letter of encouragement written by Swami Turiyananda, one of Sri Ramakrishna's intimate disciples. Uh, Swami Turiyananda stayed in this country for some time. And he spent a long time at Shanti Ashrama, a beautiful retreat in the remote hills uh, east of San Francisco. And uh, there he gathered a group of disciples and devotees who practiced intense spiritual disciplines and led a a fully uh, spiritual life. Now, at a certain point, he came back to San Francisco for a break to recover his health and give some teachings in San Francisco and left only... Gurudas, who later became Swami Atulananda, uh, there at Shanti Ashrama. Gurudas was the first uh, Western monk of the Ramakrishna order to remain his whole life in the order. He was a highly revered uh, and illumined soul, and uh, he um, was clearly having a tough time of it in Shanti Ashrama. He was then he was all alone. The company of Swami Turiyananda and the other devotees was not there to sustain him. So he must have written to Swami Turiyananda a letter of some kind of complaint. And uh, Swami Turiyananda writes back to him like this. He writes, Don't get discouraged or disheartened. Why should it be always sunshine and good times? Let mother's will be done. Never mind sunshine or rain. We must not forget mother at any time. Even if we don't see her, why should we lose heart? She appears again in our view. She knows what is best for us. Once we have given over to her, what right have we to think of ourselves again? It is not so easy to do as to say, of that I am sure. But there is no other way out. Whether we see or don't see, 
Mother is our only place of rest. I love this line. When once we have given over to her, what right have we to think of ourselves again? This is the attitude of real Sharanagati. We give ourselves over to mother, then we have no right to think of ourselves. Our only duty then is to think of mother. It's not going to be always sunshine and good times. In this world, it is sunshine and rain follow each other. We have all the hot and cold follow each other. Happiness and misery follow each other. Sure as sure, that's one of the surest things we can count on. If we're happy, we know misery is going to come. When we're miserable, we know happiness again will come. So why worry about that? Just think of mother. Swami Turiyananda was unique, had a unique and wonderful blend of Advaita, of non-dual attitude and this attitude of surrender to mother. On the one hand, he was a staunch Advaitin, that there is only Brahman which is true and everything else is false, and thou art that. At the same time, he had this attitude of wonderful surrender. In another letter to Gurudas, he wrote, May we never lose sight of this, our real self, which is the self of all, our dear mother, whose children we are. So here he combines in one short phrase both attitudes. The attitude, I am, let us not forget our true self. And what is our true self, which is in all beings? Our true self is the mother, is the divine mother whose children we are. We who think of ourselves as separate from her are the children of the mother who is the self dwelling within all. It's a beautiful synthesis. How does, what does this look like in life? Look at Sri Ramakrishna's life. He was serving for many years at the Dakshineshwar Kali temple and uh, his nephew was there serving him and causing him a lot of trouble and at a certain point he went too far and uh, really angered the temple authorities and he was kicked out. He, uh, was, he had worshipped the feet of the daughter of the temple manager. Uh, now, Sri Ramakrishna also used to worship the feet of young girls. But uh, though he was Brahmin, this was in the old caste-bound caste, uh, days, he was a Brahmin and the temple manager was not a Brahmin. So it was considered very inauspicious for a Brahmin to worship the feet of a non-Brahmin. So he was expelled forever from the temple garden. And the man sent to uh, give him the news, said, get out, he also went to Sri Ramakrishna and said, you have to get out. Temple manager says, you, ha- you get out. What did, he do? what did he do? Did he say, oh, uh, there must be some mistake. Can, we, can you check on it? I- I've been here for so many years. There must be some mistake. No, he didn't say that. He took his towel, threw it on his shoulder, and leisurely walked towards the gate, as ha- happy as could be. Mother knows. If I'm to leave, all right, mother knows. Mother will be, mother is in the temple, mother is also outside the temple. Luckily, uh, Thailokya Babu saw him walking towards the gate and came out and said, no, sir, I didn't mean you. <laughs> so then he turned around happily, went back to the temple, went back to his room. So uh, this is what, what it looks like. Sri Ramakrishna uh, likens this state to the attitude of a kitten. It's a very advanced state. The kitten 
uh, doesn't worry about anything. Its mother picks it up and puts it down somewhere. The mother grabs it by the scruff of the neck, drops it sometimes on an ash heap, sometimes on the master's bed. Kitten is happy wherever its mother puts it. And, uh, but but, but uh, we can't perhaps start there. Where we start is with the attitude of a monkey. Sri Ramakrishna talks about the, the baby monkeys who cling for dear life to their mothers. Have you seen it in India, in the Himalayas, that monkeys will leap from tree to tree, sailing overhead? It's amazing to see how they can do that. And uh, the mothers have their little ones clinging for dear life. If they let go, they'll fall 50 feet, 100 feet. They don't let go, they hold on. So we start uh, our practice of Sharanagati like that, holding on to God, taking the name of God, remembering God at all times, and making a strong effort. And at a, at, that gradually matures, that ripens into this attitude of the kitten, who is, uh, knows that his mother is always there, and wherever mother puts it, it's, it's perfectly happy. Then comes the next question. What do we really want in life? What do we really want? Sri Ramakrishna says, Mother, I don't want bodily comforts. I don't want name and fame. I don't want the occult powers. I don't want those things. As spiritual seekers, we should regularly examine our minds. What do we really want in life? I do want those things. I do want my cup of tea in the morning. And it shouldn't be Lipton tea, it should be Darjeeling tea. (laughs) I do want that. I do want a little recognition. I want people to appreciate me. If I do a nice job, people should... I I, I want that. I've been meditating a long time. Shouldn't I maybe get some some powers to read people's minds or heal diseases? I I should get those things, shouldn't I? See, these desires, they lurk in our minds. From the gross, that cup of Darjeeling tea, to the more subtle, reading other people's minds, these desires. Where does it all stem from? What we want, what we really want, is to be happy. What we really want is a little joy. And those things give us a little joy. Swami Vivekananda tells us, of course quoting from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, wherever there is any bliss, even though in the most sensual of things, there is a spark of that eternal bliss, which is the Lord himself. All joy is the joy of God. When we get a little joy drinking that cup of tea or eating that ice cream or whatever you particularly love, we get a little joy, that's the joy of God. The mind attains a certain tranquility when we satisfy these desires and the natural joy, which is the joy of God, which is planted deep within our heart, wells up. So, Swami Vivekananda continues. He says, even in the lowest kinds of attraction, there is the germ of divine love. Who can attract a soul really? Only he. So all the attraction we feel in this world is the attraction of God. So, uh, We recognize this. We make it conscious. That's why we can say in this prayer, I don't want, 
Uh, yes, it's true. This bo- the body has its own desires. The mind has its own desires. But what do I really want? I want that eternal bliss. I want that eternal love. I want that eternal joy, which is God himself, which is the mother herself. The Lord is the great magnet, says Swami Vivekananda. And we are like, all like iron filings. We are being constantly attracted by him. And all of us are struggling to reach him. So in spiritual life, we do it consciously. We recognize. So this part of the prayer, to me, is, is, telling, is, is a recognition of what we really want. What we really want is God. Though we might not know it, that's what we really want. We make that conscious. So then Sri Ramakrishna continues his prayer. He says, Mother, grant me only that I may have pure love for thee. Kebul ekoro jano tomar sri padapadde shuddha bhakti hoy. This shuddha bhakti, this completely pure devotion for your blessed lotus feet. Rejecting all other desires, that's what I want. It should be nishkam, completely untouched by any kind of desire. Amala, completely pure. Ahaituki bhakti. It's that motiveless devotion. There's no motive. It's love just for the sake of love. There are no strings attached. Swami Vivekananda tells us that true love has three uh, points, three, uh, like that. it's like a tripod of love. He calls it the triangle of love, three important points, that true love knows no bargaining, knows no bargaining. I love you, but you should also love me. That's bargaining. I love you. But honey, take out the trash. (laughs) I love you, but do your homework. If you don't do your homework, I might not love you so much. See, that's bargaining. That's not true love. And as devotees, we love God, but God should do something for us. We love God, so God should uh, give us a, a a, a raise or should take care of our troublesome boss, should he cure us of our disease. So that ahaituki uh, bhakti, that motiveless love, doesn't seek anything in return. And love knows no fear, Swamiji says. True love knows no fear. There's no fear in that love. That love obliterates all fear. Most of our, our that, pure, that kind of pure love is very rare in this world. We all love, no doubt. But that utterly pure love without any fear. I love you and I'm not afraid that if you love somebody else. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because I love you with all embracing love. If you die, if you live, does, I'm not afraid of that. And love knows no... The third point, love knows no rival. Means uh, I love you, but I also love you. My love is divided. My love... There are different rivals competing for my love. What does that mean? I think it means ultimately that love has to be for God alone. God is the only uh, recipient of our love. All our love flows to the divine. Well, what about our families? What about our loved ones? When our love goes to God, there's enough love there for everybody else as well. When we have that one-pointed and intense love for the divine, we're immersed in that love. We have love, then we can have love for everybody else because we see our beloved in the hearts of all. We see our beloved mother, our beloved Lord in the hearts of all. 
Now, a question may arise. Sri Ramakrishna says, grant me pure love for thee. Why doesn't he say, Mother, grant, I just want you. He asks for love for, love for Mother. He, I don't want anything else, Mother. I just want you. Why doesn't he say that? He asks for love rather than for Mother herself. Several points occur to me in this connection. First of all, uh, in the bhakti tradition, love is considered to be both the means and the goal. Love itself is the goal in the path of devotion. But there are some other things which occur to me. I'll touch on this again later. But uh, when we pray for God, I want only you, Mother. But I don't know Mother. I don't yet. I haven't yet realized Mother. I don't know really what that means. What uh, having what praying for God realization means is it's an unreal prayer because we don't really know what it means. But we know what love is. We may not have that all-consuming, perfectly pure love, but we do know what love is. So when we pray for love, we're praying for something we already know, and we're praying for something that's real. So it becomes a real prayer. It's something we, un- we can really feel that, yes, I know what love is. I need more love. And uh, finally, when we pray for love, we are praying for God because God is love. The highest reading of non-duality in this plane of duality is love. Love is, is bringing us always to oneness. Love is pulling us together. Love is God and God is love. So when we pray for love, we are praying for God. So Sri Ramakrishna used to pray in so many different ways he would pray for love. He would emphasize this prayer. Pray for love. Now, Sri Krishna meant, uh, tells Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita that there are four kinds of people who worship him. And they are all good. They are all noble. And they are the distressed, the seekers of knowledge, the seekers of enjoyment, and the wise. They are all noble. They are all turning to God. Some are seeking enjoyment. They're approaching God for enjoyment here or hereafter. Some are seeking for relief from distress, from trouble. Some are seeking for knowledge. And that's not bad. That's good. And as devotees, when we get in trouble, where will we turn? We will turn to God. When we fall sick, we, we, we will turn to God. When, our, when we lose a job, we will certainly turn to God. But... Uh, in the context of this prayer, there's a part of our hearts that uh, is, is, to, is to call on God without seeking for anything. And that's the wise person. Sri Krishna says the wise person has a, is a separate category. He regards as his very self. It's amazing how Sri Ramakrishna couldn't pray to the mother to heal his cancer. The devotees begged him, Sir, put your mind on your throat and heal it. What? Take my mind away from the lotus feet of the mother and put it on this cage of flesh? Then, Sir, at least tell the mother about it. He tried. Finally, after much cajoling and begging from the devotees, he tried. He said, Mother, I find it difficult to eat. And Mother replied, What? Aren't you eating through all these mouths? 
so he couldn't pray for his own disease to be healed. So the wise seek only love for the sake of love alone. I think when we get a taste of that love, we can understand it. We can understand the point. The scriptures hint that this, in this experience, uh, it's an overwhelming and life-transforming experience to get that kind of all-consuming, motiveless devotion. Uh, Narada describes it in his uh, Bhakti Sutras as Amrita Swarupa, of the very nature of immortal bliss. And when we taste that, uh, that devotion, we just taste that love, one loses all desire for anything else. One lo- no, loses all jealousy, there's no, doesn't take pleasure in anything else, and becomes intoxicated. Matto bhavati, stabdho bhavati, becomes completely silent. And atmaramo bhavati, takes delight in the divine alone. It's, a, it's a, an overwhelming experience. The, Swami Vivekananda says, the reward of love is love, and what a reward it is. It is the only thing that takes off all sorrows, the only cup by the drinking of which this disease of the world vanishes. Man becomes divine and forgets that he is a man. He used to quote some of the poets who would write about divine love in in almost erotic terms because uh, how to describe that intense love. He, he, He quotes, O beloved, one kiss of thy lips, Kissed by thee, one's thirst for thee increases forever. All sorrows cease. One forgets the past, present, and future, and only thinks of thee alone. So that's this ahaitaki bhakti. The reward of love is love, and what a reward it is. Then Sri Ramakrishna's prayer is starting to come to a close. He, he says, Mother, grant me one more thing, that I may not be deluded by thy world-bewitching maya. When we take up spiritual life, it's like swimming against a very strong current. The whole world is running pell-mell after creature comforts, after name and fame, after pelf and power. And we're saying, no, we want something different. It takes a lot of strength to swim against that current. We need help. We need divine assistance. We need super divine strength, Swami Vivekananda would say. So this, uh, prayer, this part of the prayer is a recognition that we, we need to be careful. We seek mother's help that we may not fall back into the old ways of chasing after all those things. Remember how Narada asked Sri Krishna to show him what is maya. And uh, then Sri Krishna asks Narada, Narada, go fetch me a glass of water. So Narada goes into a village and he knocks on a door to fetch fetch a glass of water for his beloved Lord Krishna. And the door opens and a beautiful young maiden is standing there. And Narada is completely dumbstruck seeing her beauty and he forgets everything. And he, he stays there and he seeks the hand of this young woman in marriage and they get married and they have kids and they raise a family and then one day there's a terrible storm and the flood comes and sweeps away the house and he's holding on to his beloved wife with one arm and the children with another and 
a wave comes and sweeps one child away and then he loses hold of his wife and the other child is drowned and finally his whole, his whole family is drowned and then he's washed up on the shore of the bank of the river and he sees Sri Krishna's feet there. And Sri Krishna says, where's the glass of water? Where's my glass of water? It's been 20 minutes. <laughs> this is Maya. For, completely forgetful. It can happen even to Narada. So Maya is, is uh, associated with the Divine Mother. So we say, Mother, please protect me. Don't let me be attracted to all those things. Let me be attracted to you alone. Then he says, Mother, I have no one but thee who I can, whom I can call my own, who I can really call my own. Sri Ramakrishna used to be pretty blunt. He used to tell some pretty blunt stories and songs uh, to uh, drive home this point. There's one uh, song, beautiful song, Bhebe Dak Mon Keu Karunoi. Oh, remember this, oh my mind, nobody is your own. And he describes how uh, uh, that person, your, your beloved wife, for whom day and night you're toiling, almost uh, practically killing yourself when you die, she will shun your body as an, as an evil thing. She'll shun, she'll shun your body, your rotting corpse. Hmm? How do we live in this world then? If we have no one as our own, what about what about our families? Should we then renounce them and go to the Himalayas? Sri Ramakrishna gives us the beautiful example of a maidservant. There's a, a woman who lives in the village, but they're facing hard times. So she comes to the big city to get a job, and she finds a job in a, a house as a nanny and caretaker of the children. And so she does all the work. She does some cooking. She raises the kids. She calls them her very own. She calls them my Hari, my Ram, my Cindy, my John. <laughs> she, she, she raises them and she takes care of them as if they were her own children. But she knows it's a job. She knows that if she gets the pink slip, she has to say goodbye and, and uh, go back to the village. It's, uh, it's, so like that, we live in this world. We treat our beloved ones, as if they are our own. Because they are our own in a certain sense. But we know in our heart of hearts there will come a time when we shall have to part at the time of death. But at the same time, we know even deeper in our heart of hearts that there is no separation, that we are all one in the Lord. So that uh, in that aspect there should be there's no grief because we we will be we are and will be one and when we know it we attain the goal of our life so then sri ramakrishna prays mother i am without worship i am without spiritual practice i am without Knowledge, I am without devotion. Bhajanheen, sadhamheen. Is Ramakrishna without devotion? He's the very embodiment of devotion. Why is he praying like this? Of course, first of all, he's, he's, of course, he's teaching us how to pray. But uh, this may seem 
uh, a little curious. We know from Swami Vivekananda teaches us, tell yourself, think of strength, be strong. He who says, I am weak, becomes weak. He who says, I am a sinner, becomes a sinner. Why should we pray like this then? I'm without devotion, I'm without knowledge, I haven't done any spiritual practice. I've done some spiritual practice. It may not be that much, but I've done something. I may not have that much devotion, but I have some devotion. Why should I pray like this? I think what uh, the, the point here is that a time comes in our spiritual life when we recognize that no matter how much we have struggled and tried, no matter how much we have prayed, no matter how much japa we have done and meditation we have done, it's not enough. It's insufficient. We still haven't broken through the wall of, of ego. We still haven't realized that we still haven't seen mother. We still haven't attained that intense love, that, all, that, that love that sweeps everything away and makes of not the world and of man a god. We haven't attained that. And that we realize that without grace, we won't succeed, that we need grace. So I think this, is the rec- this part of the prayer is that recognition, that no matter how much we may try and strive and struggle, we need grace. This is the prayer that comes when the bird is utterly tired. You know the parable of the bird on the mast. There was a bird sitting on the mast of a ship, in the harbor, and uh, it was a little bit unmindful of things, and the ship set sail and went out of the harbor onto the ocean. And when the bird noticed that there was, uh, it was out on the ocean, it thought, I better get back to land, and it started to fly to land. And it flew towards the east as far as its wings could take it, and then it realized it better get back to the mast or it'll, it'll get tired out and drown. So it goes back to the mast and it mast and it rests there for a long while. Then it goes again in search of land. And it goes to the west as far as its wings will take it. It doesn't find any land. Back to the mast. Then it tries to the north and again it tries to the south. And it couldn't find land anywhere. Then what does it do? It stays there at the mast. It just relinquishes all effort, of all further effort. Uh, completely exhausted. So a time comes in our spiritual life also when we offer all the practice we've done and say, Lord, this is all I could do. Now, it, now it's up to you. I, I, so that's how I understand this prayer. I'm without devotion. I'm without knowledge. I have not done the requisite amount of spiritual practice. I have not able to fix my mind compl- fully on you. So, Mother, that's why I throw myself on your mercy because I'm not able to do it myself. How can, uh, uh, no matter how much japa we may do, no matter how much meditation may, we may do, it's still a finite amount. How do we expect to catch the infinite with something finite? So when we have given that 125% and find that still the goal comes far off, then comes that surrender. So, uh, he closes the prayer with a reiteration of this, of this, uh, of the main theme. By your infinite mercy, grant me love for your lotus feet. So this prayer of Sri Ramakrishna is a wonderful guide for our prayer. I think many of you know this prayer, and probably many of you have also committed it to memory. 
It's uh, something that uh, can uh, really become a, f- a prayer like this can become a, friend, a real friend in spiritual life. We commit some, uh, committed to memory, and as our heart moves us, we will develop it and, and add it to it and subtract from it and find what's, what's right for us. Uh, but this is Sri Ramakrishna's wonderful prayer for pure love alone. I'd like to close by reading a short passage from Swami Vivekananda, and we'll have a couple minutes of silence. The way of all ways to realization is love. When one loves the Lord, the whole universe becomes dear to one, because it is all his. Everything is his, and he is my lover. I love him, says the bhakta. In this way, everything becomes sacred to the bhakta, because all things are his. How then may we hurt anyone? How then may we not love another? With the love of God will come as its effect the love of everyone in the long run. The nearer we approach God, the more do we begin to see that all things abide in him. Our heart will become a perennial fountain of love. Man is transformed in the presence of this light of love and realizes at last the truth that love, lover, and beloved are really one. Love, lover, and the beloved are really one.